Communities have been the crucibles in which I've been formed and refined and made more like Jesus. And I think moving around a lot and helping <clears throat> and having to find and create community each time has given me a special appreciation of the deep richness that there is to be found in doing life with others. Community is such a vital part of Christian life. It's such a vital part of life, actually, isn't it? Everybody needs community, not just Christians. But despite living in a hyper-connected world, community sometimes can feel rather hard to find. Finding people to do life with can actually be a bit of a struggle. Now, I I sometimes hear older people, well, I'm talking about my granddad, actually. Um, My granddad often will say in this country that we've forgotten what it is to live as a community to have a fundamental connection and a true dependence on one another. It doesn't help that our society so promotes individualism, leading us to believe in values like independence and self-reliance and the exercise of our individual interests and choices ahead of our communities. Those things are all held up as good and sometimes they have their place, but they can leave us rather lonely. But the Bible teaches us that we are all members of one body, that we suffer when we're detached from others and that the community suffers without us too. Jesus' words were, I am the vine and you are the branches. We are all connected through him, whether we'd like to be or not. So if our faith urges us to be a people of community, what does that mean for us in practice? Well, interestingly, this is also a question that the early church had to ask themselves too. The book of Acts describes how the earliest believers had lived through Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension, and how they were then filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's the very first uh, chapter of Acts. But of course, the book of Acts isn't only one chapter long, is it? Because the believers' stories didn't end there. No, they had to carry on with their lives and figure out what all the the kind of craziness of this newfound faith and power meant for how they lived with one another. So we're going to turn to the book of Acts now. Um, We're turning to Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, and it's going to appear on the screen, although you're very welcome to get a Bible out if you'd like to. Here's what it says that the believers did next. So they've just had this incredible Pentecost experience. They've been filled with the Spirit. And this is what they then do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is such a great passage to to look at when we're thinking about community. And we can see a distinctive way of life began to emerge amongst this community of believers as they moved forward in their new faith in Jesus. Now I see some ways in which our church 
resembles this early New Testament community. Some of them we're doing today. We are gathered together just as they were gathered together in the temple courts. We are learning together just as they devoted themselves to teaching. And we often see signs and wonders here as, we, as people are healed and set free and given new life in Jesus' name. In so many ways, we're already doing the things that they did. Isn't that an amazing thought? That we're following in the pattern of community that was established immediately after Jesus' ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension, and immediately after they were filled with his spirit at Pentecost. That's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And all of those things we do every Sunday, which is absolutely brilliant, and we should keep doing them. But here's the truth. It's possible to do all these things that we're doing this morning, gathering together, worshipping God together, listening to teaching and so on, and still not really be part of community. It's possible to come to church and still not know people very well. After all, church isn't the building. I mean, we love our building, but it's not church, is it? Church is the people. Church is us. And it's not enough just to turn up. That doesn't build community. So what can this passage tell us about moving beyond just coming along and really getting stuck into living our lives in community together? Well, I think there are five more key things that this passage especially challenges us to do as a church, as family on mission, as a community of believers seeking to love one another and draw those who don't yet know Jesus into our family too. And different people in this church do different ones of these well. So let's learn from one another's example as we consider them. So the first one, I think it should come up on the screen, hopefully. Yeah, there we go. Is eat together, share meals together. It says in verse 46, they broke bread and ate together. This is such a simple one, but it's taken directly from Jesus' own ministry. He ate with people all the time. He ate with people so much that he was maligned as a glutton and a drunkard by those who hated him. That's how much he did it. And this looked different at different times. Sometimes it looked like eating with his closest friends, like at the Last Supper. Sometimes it looked like going round to others' houses, like with Zacchaeus, and they weren't always the people you'd expect either. Sometimes it looked like a giant outdoor picnic, like, in, like the feedings of the multitudes. And so it can be for us. Maybe it's a sit-down family dinner. Maybe it's a cuppa and a biscuit. Maybe it's grabbing some food together on a lunch break. <clears throat> Maybe it's cram as many people into your living room as humanly possible and make a giant batch of stew kind of thing. And I, so, I know so many people in this church that do those things. And uh, I'm looking particularly at the, the girls of Petch Street because I never thought you could get that many people into one moderately sized living room. But I've seen the manager on a number of occasions. <clears throat> Anything that gets us together in an informal way, regularly spending quality time, those discussions that happen as we're setting the table or washing up together or simply enjoying a good meal, we might not have those anywhere else. And sometimes those can be the conversations that really change the course of our lives. Humble, but significant. And of course, we gather together every few Sundays for communion, a symbol of the, um, the link between us, symbolized in uh, sharing a meal together. Jesus knew that that brings people together as a community. Because he knew that alongside physical nourishment can come relational and spiritual nourishment too. So that's the first one, eat together. The second one is enjoy life together. Live life to the full. 
It says in verse 46, they had glad and sincere hearts. It certainly sounds like the believers had a good time together and enjoyed each other's company. Life wasn't always easy, but they were glad. And it's worth remembering that gladness and sincerity aren't mutually exclusive. Being being people of faith together doesn't mean we have to be somber and serious all the time. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. It's like a party. We can have fun together. And again, this can happen in so many ways. In small groups, large groups, barbecues, board game nights, light parties for the children at Halloween, bowling as a church staff team, which we did the other day, trips out, evenings in, all sorts. And this doesn't just look like one culture's idea of fun either. It's really broad. Those who'd come to faith at Pentecost represented an international cosmopolitan crowd of residents, immigrants and pilgrim Jews who'd come to worship at the temple. So it made sense that when they began to live according to their new faith, they expressed this in a way true to their culture. So these, these believers were Jewish, so in our passage it says they continued to go to the temple together. At this point in Acts, they still wouldn't have eaten certain foods, they would have observed certain customs, etc. And our Christian faith can be in, expressed in a way true to our culture too. Sometimes we need to ask questions about aspects of our culture, like the British partying culture that can involve too much alcohol or, or whatever. But it's great that we can enjoy life and know that we are, are being part of a family on mission in a way that's true to our own culture. I know that some people in our church ate together a few weeks ago for Burns Night, a celebration of Scottish culture. And, uh, and others might get together next, next month for Nowruz, Persian New Year, or, or other celebrations. And that's brilliant. Community and living life to the full has many cultural expressions. And of course, this isn't just partying either. It goes deeper than that. We are called to rejoice always, even in hard circumstances. But this is made so much more difficult when you're alone, but more doable when others are around you. We can have glad hearts even in hardship which is so countercultural to our society so that's the second one enjoy life to the full together thirdly pray pray with one another they devoted themselves to prayer it says in verse 42 this is one of the things that <clears throat> that really sets us apart from other communities it's simple but so key when was the last time you prayed with your family your friends your neighbors your spouse your housemates Maybe it was yesterday or maybe it's been a while. Now in my role, it won't surprise you to know that I pray with a lot of people and that's a great joy for me. But some of the times I've most clearly heard from God and felt his presence has just been in really quiet times of prayer with close friends in our living room. Nothing special, nothing uh, particularly organized, just a few friends together. Or on the beach, uh, early on Easter morning, as we watched the sunrise. They were power, there were powerful words and prophecies that were spoken then that had a lasting impact on our lives. It doesn't have to be particularly uh, well organized. Now we have people in this church who love nothing more than gathering some friends in their living room and praying, which is uh, such a gift to the community. For some in this church though, it doesn't come as naturally or it's hard to find the time. So I think there's a couple of challenges for us there. Those who know how to pray and love to pray and pray with other regu- others regularly. Who are you inviting to join you who perhaps isn't so confident? Who are you helping to learn how to make room for that in their lives? 
And, who, and, and those who want to do this more, to pray more, what are you waiting for? Grab a friend for 15 minutes, spend some time praying together and see what God does with that time. I bet you'll be amazed. For the early church, this was absolutely foundational to their way of life. And so it should be for us too. So that's number three, pray. So we've had eat, enjoy, pray, and now share. Share with one another. It says in verse 44 that all the believers had everything in common. Now this is a bit of a controversial one and a hard one to really put into practice. The idea of not truly having a claim on all the stuff that we have and sharing all we have with others is a really hard one. And it's tempting to think that perhaps the early church found it easier to hold their possessions lightly because they were still expecting that Jesus' return was probably only going to be a matter of days or weeks. So embarking on this radical way of life perhaps seemed less costly to them if they thought that it would only be for a short time anyway. It's easy to dismiss this part of their way of life as not being something we should necessarily do today. But actually, the main model for their behaviour was Jesus He had told people to sell all they had and give the money to the poor. And that's exactly what happened amongst these early believers. Property was sold as needed and the proceeds given to the community. Like later on in Acts uh, 4, 35 to 37, it says, From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and donated the money. That's quite a lot of money. He was a landowner. He sold his land. He gave the money to the apostles and it was then given out as required. This is a hard one. But actually, I've seen some amazing examples of this in our church People using their cars to drop others off at the airport or taking other people's children to school or people letting others stay with them during a rough patch at home or where they, when they have uh, nowhere else to live. People giving away their Bibles to someone who doesn't have one. When I was a full-time youth worker, I had lodgings in the house of a, a lovely kind man who was a university lecturer. His job took him away from home a lot for long stretches of time, and so he had a house that was not in use for much of the year. And although he couldn't give uh, much in the way of his time to volunteer for things at church because he was uh, away a lot, he freely gave of his assets to help the work of the church and let a couple of us younger staff members live in his spare rooms, which was not without its risks, I have to say. You know, letting a bunch of youngsters come and live in your house while you're away is a bold thing to do. But he was generous and it made possible what otherwise would not have been possible for our church. Another example is uh, when I left that church to get married at 22, an elderly friend of mine who had very severe mental ill health and who very often couldn't leave her bed, let alone her house because of it, gave me a present. She gave us a present, my, my Mark and me. She knew that uh, she didn't have very much at all, but she also knew that my Mark and I were setting up home together from scratch and had nothing either, having been students for the previous few years. But she was able to knit beautifully. So during those times that she couldn't get out of bed, she knitted as a blanket for our new home. She shared her resources with us, and that blanket means a lot to me even now. She blessed us immeasurably with what she had. Jesus calls us to be generous according to the measure that we are given. 
That's what the early believers did. And it's what we can do for one another too now. And lastly, invite. We are called to welcome others into this family. Verse 47 says, the Lord added to their number daily. Lord, let it be so with us. We know that the way the early believers were living, full of prayer, gladness, hospitality, and care for one another, was attractive to those around them because it drew new people in. The Lord added to their number daily. But without an invitational culture, then people would have just been on the outside looking in. The church isn't called to be a window into God's family, but a door. It's true that there's a lot of loneliness out there and individualism and isolation, but it's also true that there is no community on earth more meaningful than an authentic community of those whose faith is in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, eating, praying, laughing, mourning, sharing together. Those early believers have passed the baton of radical community to us We are called to uh, be the ones who are rejecting the world's pressures to be perfect or to rely only on ourselves. Rebelling against the temptation to batten down the hatches when life gets hard and go it alone. Choosing to be inclusive of all those God brings our way and caring for one another turn by turn as each have need. That can challenge loneliness that can transform communities and ultimately that can bring people into the family of God now you might be thinking that this sounds amazing but you don't really feel like you have much to contribute in all of this or that you don't know where to start but just as Sarah said last week we all have something to offer in the family of God because even if we have nothing by the world's standards we have him and the hope that he gives us So everyone has the opportunity to invite other people into their way of living out their faith. We're all human, so sometimes it's bound to be messy and imperfect and the washing up won't be done and the dishes will still be in the sink and you probably won't be able to keep up with the Joneses. And that's okay. Jesus didn't care much for appearances anyway. We can all be part of forming radical community, not just in church, but with those outside too. So what can you do? I know I found myself challenged while putting this talk together to practice what I preach and deepen my own practices of hospitality. So why not ask God which of those five things he's highlighting to you too? Eat, enjoy, pray, share, invite. Because we believe everyone has something to offer and everyone is a vital part of our community. So what is it? How can you help build radical community in your church, in your workplace, in your family, amongst your friends? Maybe you're only ready to kind of dip your toe in with one of these. Maybe you've not tried it before. So just try it once this week. Give it a go. See what God does with that. Maybe you're raring to go, but actually God is asking you to take it up a notch even further. Well, then how can you make one of these... uh, a habit in your life, something that's just instinctive? How can you cultivate those practices? I believe God is calling all of us into deeper community. We are moving forward into a new, uh, a new season as a church, a season of action, a season of putting into practice all that God has been uh, laying the foundations of in our hearts.
So what is it that God might be calling each of us to do to help make those connections, build that community in our own lives? We're just going to spend a short time in silence now and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you're, if you're wondering what it is that God is, is saying to you, ask him. He is good and he loves to speak to his children. So we're going to spend just a few moments in silence and then I will pray and hand over, over to Rachel. So let's just be quiet and reflect on what this passage might be saying to us today.